I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I am an unsigned creative, and I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. <laughs> Independent, uh, and I <laughs> and I'm straight to the fifth element. Where I highlight fifth element hip hop, which is knowledge. We just keep digging away. Just keep digging away. Just keep digging away. <laughs> you can talk now. I just want to do it four times. Just keep digging away. Just keep digging away. Way. I feel like you're. I feel like you're better in your Where's higher the... register than your uh, lower register. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I said to I said, I was I was watching um I was watching darts with my dad the other day. And uh, there's this dude. There's this dude who's always like the MC of like uh, every darts tournament that comes through is, uh, in the UK, um, and uh, well, every PDC one anyway. And uh, I was just like, one, I, was, I just said to him, I was like, I could do that. He was like, What do you mean? I was like, oh, MC? Yeah, I could do that. You know, just just you know, just just introducing people. Yeah, yeah. Give me a card to read. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I could do that, but. <laughs> he cl- he he mocked me and uh, yeah. So in the future, if you see me as an MC, just just saying, it's it's, it, it, it's going to happen someday. So prepare I mean, it's, for it. It's not prepare it's not prepare for the prepare for, prepare for long breathed introductions to people by <sighs> me. Let's get ready to rumble. You can give one of those. I mean, like yeah, man, that, that kind of shit, bruv. Straight up MCing. It's time. <laughs> my friend actually, my friend actually joined the local Greens party recently, and she emceed right. her first event a couple of days ago, and she said it was very, very anxiety provoking and very challenging to do. And I think a lot of people think, oh yeah, you know, we can, I can talk, I can riff, I'm, I'm cool, but like, get up in front <laughs> of all those people, man. I, I don't know if I could do it. Like, I think I'd struggle. Uh, maybe a bit of stage uh, fright. I- I think there's levels to MC it. Like the one, the one I'm talking about when it comes to like the darts. Literally, the dude just goes like, you know, welcome to Milton Keynes. We're we're hearing this for this tournament. No, 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 no. And then people cheer. And they go, it's time to meet the players. And then it literally just says the player like, uh, and uh, yeah, and that kind of MC I feel like is very simple. But like MC in terms of like hosting an event, that's a bit different. That, give, that's us, a, that's, give us that's your different. give us your 180. Give us a 180, man. Hit us with it. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I do it, like because uh, they all do it in different ways. People in America, are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about <laughs> right now? The fuck is this darts shit? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> darts is hype, bro. Darts is fucking hype. I need, I, uh, uh, honestly, a personal dream of mine, and we will get started. Trust me. Uh, a personal dream of mine is uh, not a dream, but just like something I want to do is just get the boys and people world championship final. Just to just seven sets and several hours of just drinking and cheering, like, bro, just 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 get fucking lit. You know what I mean? That's a, that's an epic. That's an epic. It's uh, just the it's the sport for the lager louts, like just the lager louts, you know. And they is. just get up there just, after a few pints and they just throw and just, darts yep. at a board, and it's fucking great. Yep. 
I'm low-key, I'm low-key half decent at darts, like, oh, well, I was anyway, probably not anymore, but, like, yeah, it's, it's hard, like, it's, it's actually low-key very hard, but the money's fucking great. Yeah. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? What have you been to this week? So this week, uh, obviously, we got into Exodus by DMX, and this is an interesting one. Um, I don't, look, this is hard, because Swizzbeat said that the album was fully done prior to Swizzy. X's passing, and that the album, this is the album that X wanted to release. I can't really say much in that sense, because it's like, okay, well, okay, you know, this is what DMX wanted out there, but... I'm going to say some stuff anyway. I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever. I've had a lot of conversations with people on Instagram and Twitter about this. And it's getting a poor response, you know, a mid to poor response. DMX raps 45% of the words on here. So 55% comes from guests. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's less than 50%. I think I don't recall a song. Oh, there are a couple of songs where DMX has two verses. I think the Alicia Keys one, I think the Bono one, mm-hmm. he has two verses. But a lot of the time, it's one verse. And maybe I'm just really jaded on posthumous albums because, you know, I don't even dislike this record. I actually really like it. It sounds like mid-2000s Swizz Beats, which is to say it sounds very dated and underwhelming when compared with 2021, if that's what you're looking for. And I think that's contributed to its poor reception you know, it's projected to sell 28 to 32k first week. You consider that DMX's best of jumped to number two, 544% up uh, on the Billboard 200 after his passing. That sold 77k. So to me, it's really clear people do want to listen to DMX. They're just choosing not to listen to Exodus. And DMX is the best part of this whole project. You know, every time he raps, even when he's providing ad-libs, he, he sounds amazing. He's aggressive, he's vibrant, he's vivid, he's emotional, he's pained, he's strong. It's, um, oh, hang on a sec, my cat's come in. We have to cut this bit, sorry. Okay. I just got to kick her out. Yeah, I know, sweetie, I know. Come on, out you go. Yeah, come on. She's an old duffer, that cat. She's like 16 years old, so got to be got to be gentle with her. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like DMX is DMX is easily the best part on here. DMX is easily the best part on here. The the guests are just hit and miss for me. Really hit and miss. Lox and yeah. Griselda were amazing. I thought Moneybag Yo was really good. I thought the second Nas verse was great, but not the Bath Salts. Mm-hmm. The Bath Salts one, like, look. Ugh. Bath Salts should never have seen the light of day. You know, J- yep. Jay-Z drops a genuine D-tier verse here, and Nas wasn't much better. <laughs> you know, uh, it's obvious to me why that song didn't come out on Life is Good. And that song is a great example of the problem with this album. So, firstly, Jada Kiss was on that song, but he was cut for this album. Why? If you're cutting artists off songs, why are you stopping at Jada Kiss? Secondly, why was this song deemed worthy of coming out on the posthumous album of one of the greatest rappers of all time when it wasn't worthy of coming out on a regular studio album by Nas, which is Life is Good? It wasn't good enough there. Why is it good enough here? And I was, apparently Jay-Z's verse is unchanged from that that and Nas's is as well. Like it's, it, it doesn't make sense. And it just falls prey to the typical posthumous trope. 
It's like loaded up with features. And I don't understand why. And again, fair play, DMX wanted to make this particular album. You know, all these collabs happened organically, according to Swizz. But you have to know exactly what lane this album is going to be pigeonholed into. Immediately, people are going to think Biggie Duets or Still I Rise or Loyal to the Game. The Biggie Duets. The Biggie Duets. And I love those albums, don't get me wrong. But... This is, I'm saying this is probably why the response has been so poor. And, um, you know, DMX just sounds amazing for me. And the thing about it is the market for this is going to be DMX fans. So why make people sift through 3,400 words from guests just to find the 2,800 DMX words? You know, like, what? it's frustrating. A lot of the time DMX pops up as a last feature on the song as well. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And 90% of the people I've spoken to... They just, they say it in an articulate way. You know, they don't just say this is trash. They're like, I don't like this. And it's disappointing to me. It's really disappointing to me. Really disappointing. I think, I just, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I can't say it any other way. It's like, if, if this had come out three or four years ago, fine, man, we'll listen to it. Probably wouldn't put it on again, but I'd be like, this is cool. Like, I really like that DMX is, you know, still out here. And Swizz actually said that the rollout, they were planning so that the album was done and then DMX was like getting in shape, ready for touring and stuff. My idea is like this this album is X getting back into shape because X hadn't dropped an album in a long time. It was like I think 2009 was his last album. You got to get back in shape lyrically and and flow-wise and technically. This album is X getting back in shape and then we would have probably gotten the the big album. But I just don't know, man. Just doesn't sit right with me this one so yeah uh the other album was a bugsy malone album that i listened to that was because oh, bugsy malone bro this is a fucking great album you know this is a really mm. i've never listened to bugsy malone before i've heard of him but mm. i've never listened to him this album is insane it's so intense man just the emotion mm. he puts into this shit but like sometimes just cold-hearted emotion as well you know talking about his near-death experience and what it, what that's changed for him and, and how his life has changed and survivor's remorse and going through the guilt over his past actions. It's fucking intense. The production is amazing. Bugsy Malone has this thing, like I was waiting for him to kind of like get out of first gear, if that makes sense, with his vocal tone, but he never does. And I'm actually really glad he doesn't because it's like, I don't know, he just, he sounds so so cold and calculating a lot of the time it's fucking amazing so yeah i uh, i really enjoyed that I, I wasn't planning to listen to the whole thing but um i think angels was my favorite song of that if people want to go listen to that angels was amazing i also listened to wi-fi's <coughs> funerals album i thought that was decent um i thought that was a good listen and uh juice world dropped or juice world's estate dropped goodbye and good riddance the anniversary edition with the lucid dreams remix with lil uzi and the new song 734 and the Lucid Dreams remix is really good. You know, I think it was really good. And the 734, wow, that's a tongue twister. 734 uh, was a good good song as well. So um, check those out, man. Check those out. So that was that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Started off with uh, Jamie Branch, Fly or Die Live. Um, this is like such a, I didn't expect this to hit me as hard as it did. I knew the I knew because it was like a live album. I was going to enjoy it in some fashion because it's just you know just a little glimpse into you know some live music which I haven't heard in a minute, right? And there is nothing better than some good live jazz, right? 
And, you know, I've listened to Jamie Branch before, uh, part of when she was uh, doing that Antelope uh, project last year or two years ago. I forget how long it was. Um, and that was just completely just lit from left field. And it fascinated me a lot. Um, Fly or Die Live is basically, uh, she has two albums two editions of fly or die uh, so it's basically a series of albums that she has from a few years ago and obviously this is like just a live recording of uh, a lot of the a lot of from both um and i feel like this is a real good example of just why jazz as a genre of music is just so can be the most refreshing thing ever just to even experience because Jamie Branch as a uh, as a uh, just as an artist is very um, eclectic and very uh, free. Uh, a lot of free jazz going on. Uh, you don't really know where it's gonna go, especially if you if if you like me and haven't listened to Fly or Die uh, one or two. Uh, you will highly benefit from listening to this live uh, edition, uh, which is I think recorded in Switzerland of all places. That's kind of fascinating, um, and y- you'll just benefit because you don't know where it's going to go and for that hour and a half it just it just sends you into just so many places and it it just really uh i don't know man it just really sent me into an interesting place uh going through it uh prayer for a pray for america i think that's what one one of the tracks are called uh is just is just lengthy and she has just this raw vocals coming through, uh, and they just they just blast out, and the and the horns behind her just just go, it just it just goes absolutely fucking crazy to me. Um, I'm just trying to find the uh, album itself as I talk, but yeah, it, it's just it's just super fun uh, to listen to it all fully. Uh, yeah, Prayer for America uh, Part 1 and 2 is amazing. Uh, theme 002 is great. Waltzer, Simple Silver Surfer, uh, Bird Dogs of Paradise, uh, Nuevo Roquero, Roquero Estero, uh, Est- Esterio, that's it. I suck at Spanish. Um, just just the whole thing is just absolutely amazing to listen to. If you If you are not into jazz that much, I can understand that if you listen to something like this, there's like a, there's just a, you know, the lack of rhythm sometimes can really throw someone off. Uh, but when they find, when, when her and the band just find a rhythm and stick to it for a bit, it's, it feels so rewarding in some way. And you just find a, you just find a, a groove that you've never found before. But then she just goes off into something else and it just, oh, it's just, it it just leaves you on your toes. It's just so great. I I, I fucking love it. I, I love the essence of it. There's nothing better than just some free jazz just to keep you on your toes. It's it's unexpected a lot of the time, and uh, it's just super refreshing on that front. I can understand why people wouldn't like that something like that. Some my mum is, is definitely one of those people. Uh, but yeah, man, if you want to just test yourself in terms of what you enjoy, um, give this a try. Just just give. Just give it a try. Just try and and thank me though if you like it. Uh, Mariba Azeb, uh, Louis P. Uh, funny, uh, I have a feeling that she dropped this at the same. Uh, she meant to drop this at the same time she was giving birth. So uh, big ups to Mariba, now a mother. Um, and yeah, this is um, 
a great album to uh, I guess uh, dedicate uh, to dedicate to your to to your baby because um, it's a it's a real dreamy uh, EP. It's just classic Mariba vibes. Uh, the uh, what's the what's the one track? Uh, My Moon obviously is I guess dedicated to the kid. Gold is great. Uh, Beretta is oh, just banging. Like I, I like when she does that kind of music. I don't I don't know how to describe it, but um, I love that kind of shit. Uh, so shout out to Marie. But uh, the other guys, Spring and Analog Season Two, uh, forever interested in whatever those guys doing. Real calm, real calm beats. Love the artwork. Love the artwork. So so such such, such fresh artwork. I love that. Uh, and yeah, just uh, some, some decent beats as always. Shout out to the other guys. Uh, Red Free Two. Uh, little big man, uh, which just as a title, sorry to say it, but it annoys me. Like if you're gonna have little and then capitalize the M on man, just stop it and then capitalize all of big. It's just annoying. It's jarring to look at. But anyway, DEP's great. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I like the I like the uh, the the range of um, features he has. Like he has a you know Tig's the author, and then just has someone like SL and M Huncho on a couple of tracks. Uh, I love uh, Last Night, no one can relate. I love Pressure, Pressure's just beast. Uh, yeah, man, just the, the emotional the emotional range that Retro 2 gets into is just absolutely crazy. Uh, and exactly the same with Bugsy Malone as well, The Resurrection. Uh, I've listened to Bugsy Malone for the past couple of years. Uh, it's taken me a while to get into him. Uh, King of the North, as, as we all know. Uh, but yeah, man, this is lengthy, but just just absolutely cold, wintry. Uh, I, I, his voice is just so unique. There's nothing like it. Uh, the storytelling he gets, uh, talking about Van Gogh, um, uh, welcome to the hoods. Just, just super. I know it reminds me of. It reminds me of like uh, if you remember Nas's and Erica Badu's "This Is Bitter Land." It reminds me of that in some way. Uh, I think that's the same track with Emily Sandy on it. Let me check because uh, that would make much sense. Yeah, it's the one with Emily Sandy on it. So that's exactly the vibe I like. I love that kind of cold uh realism just super sharp uh and uh yeah it's just a superb album and i like the last four tracks which turns into like a little ep in its of its own i like that kind of i like that uh, side of it it's very interesting uh and uh yeah lastly dmx exodus um i feel the same way as uh probably uh ben would love to say but he'll probably make me delete later um just for sake of it and uh yeah it, it it, I feel like this just could have been like six tracks EP vibes like because there are you know five or six tracks which are I genuinely enjoy right uh, the one with Alicia Keys is great uh, what's that uh, hold me down's great uh, take control walking in the rain led to my son obviously the prayer and the Exodus skit is great like if you just gave me like from nine to thirteen and throw hold me down in there I'll be fine. Uh, I think Take Control is the one with uh, Benny and them in it, Griselda and that. Uh, uh, no, wait, Hood Blues. Hood, Hood Blues. Blues is the one. Hood, Hood Blues. Blues. Yeah. yeah. So from Hood Blues to Hood Blues to the end, throwing Holby down, I would have been happy with that. But it just starts off with. Did you not like that's the, my dog? Yeah, did, yeah, that's my dog. Yeah. But did yeah. you not like no, the locks? Did you not like the locks on that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But the hook, bro. Yeah. Oh, the right, hook so. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> sucks um but yeah the locks is cool um but if i if i have to listen to that uh hook like consistently i I can't get into it to be completely honest with you uh but i'm sorry to the locks on that front you couldn't save it uh but yeah you know it's and it just feels it i just can't get the 
the taste out of my mouth that it just feels like I know what Swizz said. It's he he finished it before he died. I understand, and I'll take that word to the bank. Okay, but it doesn't stop the fact that to me personally, it feels like it feels like ghetto gospel. It feels like uh, the Biggie duets. It feels just like one of those posthumous albums where they have a few verses in the vault and they just throw and they just get up the roller decks and you know just call up whoever they f- uh, whoever I feel Swizz Beats just felt like it should be on that track. It just feels like that to me. It might not it might be factually incorrect, but it just feels like one of those posthumous albums that just comes past. It doesn't feel organic at all to me. Um is that disrespect most likely. Um but it's just how it's just how it comes across to me when I'm listening to it. It just I, I just feel if it could have been an EP, man. It just could have been a simple EP. If you're telling me that, you know, there might have been another album on the way to make it, you know, the final, and this was like the quote-unquote tune-up, then make it an EP. Mm. Throw, throw six tracks on there. Get that Griselda thing on there. The Snoop one. The Nas second verse. That Alicia, the Alicia refrains. Great. Love it all. Uh, the prayer, obviously, standard procedure. But there's just so much fat on here, man. And... Like, if it was trimmed, it'd be fine. But there's just like Bono's on a fucking track, bro. Like who, who's here for that? Sorry, who's here for that? Nobody's here for that. I'm sorry. Anyway, I agree. We shall leave it there. Yeah, anyway. and uh, yeah, here's what it is. Uh, but we hop into our uh, to- uh, topic for this episode, and we're doing retrospective on West Coast alternative group, uh, the Far Side. Um, I've always been interested in the far side and just, uh, I'm, I saw him, I actually saw him live, uh, obviously as the, as the group of two, um, I forget, uh, which two. I think it's Imani, Imani and Booty Brown are doing the, Imani and Booty Brown. I think so. Yeah. They, cause the other two yeah, yeah. were doing some stuff together as well, but I think it was Imani and Booty Brown who were doing the, the anniversary stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Imani Boo Brown, LFC, uh, Fat Lip, and Slim Kid Trey, previous members. Uh, but yeah, I saw Imani and Boo Brown, uh, uh, B Horizon, uh, last last year, two years, last year. No, yeah, last January. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they were great. Right, it was good. I enjoyed it very much. Um, just hearing running and passing me by live is just amazing. Uh, and the DJ they had for it, I forgot the boss man's name, but he just fucking killed it. Um. In a good way, uh, but yeah, it was boss. Um, and I've always just been fascinated with the uh, uh, far side from a you know just an alternative perspective. Obviously, they dip into jazz rap as well. Um, but uh, yeah, this is just one of those which uh, you you have a you you hear the you know the the popular songs and you're just like okay okay I see what they're going at, and then you actually listen to the albums fully and the rest of their work, and it's just like oh okay. It sound a bit, a little bit, little bit different from, uh, uh, from from the you know the popular stuff, and uh, that's always the benefit of doing these retrospectives for me personally, anyway. And I know Ben feels the same. Um, so yeah, man. Far side. Let's jump right in, Ben. What have you got for us? I could actually be wrong about that because I'm just reading up because there was definitely a, a split. So I think it might have been Fat Lip and Slim Kid Three who actually did the. The live stuff, because I know that obviously they left in like the year 2000. I just want to get that right before we start, but I think it must have been those two. It's very weird how no, there was I, like. I, a... I know, I know, I know I saw Imani and Booty. Bro. Okay, all right. Uh, I know, all right. I know that. Fair. I know that for a fact. I did. So, okay. and I know uh, Slim Kid's been working with DJ Newmark uh past couple of years. 
Um, but yeah, I, I know for a fact it's not Slim Kid or okay. Fat Lip, so it's All probably right. okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean the the group's fascinating. The group's fascinating. It was it, I I wasn't really sure much about Farside before I did this, but it turned into a really interesting narrative. So, the Farside members, Imani, Slim Kid Three, Booty Brown, they all met as dancers in the late nineteen eighties, and they were the dance crew known as Two Four Two. And I want to preface uh, the podcast by saying that that actually makes total sense. You know, the the inane energy and offhanded way that they craft their music, it feels so much like the live performance atmosphere that comes with dance. And this is where their first exposure to an audience came from. Uh, They appeared on the comedy sketch show In Living Color, and that show was huge, and that kind of blew them up a little bit. Booty Brown was actually a backup dancer for Fat Lip, and Fat Lip was the final piece to the musical puzzle that they they created. And it seems like he was a driving force behind turning the group to music. Their their inspiration and their their music teacher was Reggie Andrews, who was actually he was a local high school music teacher, but uh, very enmeshed in the local R and B scene. And he took an interest in transitioning them from dance to rap. And he also knew producer Jay Swift as well. Now Amani said that they didn't actually grow up together. They all just kind of came together around the time school finished. He said they were all in each other's orbits, but they were performing separately a lot of the time. But they would, you know, collaborate randomly on things. Armani said he knew Slim Kid and Booty Brown. Booty Brown knew Fat Lip. Fat Lip also knew Jay Swift. So that kind of solidified that connection. And collectives were very, very cool in the late 80s and early 90s. They were very... To use the late 80s and early 90s, they were hip and happening back then. They were in vogue. They were in vogue. So, you know, alcoholics, hieroglyphics, digital underground, native tongues. You know, I really feel like native tongues was a shining light on any, any group of more than three rappers or three or more rappers. It kind of pushed them to the forefront of the underground conversation because native tongues were just that well known and respected. And Amani said once they all came together as a group, people started to take a lot more interest in them. And, you know, that's way more interest than when they were individuals and occasional collaborators. So they just they signed with Delicious Vinyl, uh, which was a very influential early hip-hop record label. They had Young MC, Def Jeff, Tone Loke, and Farside, of course. Farside was a massive part of their success. Paul Stewart is the man who introduced them into the, Stewart, the system. Very unassuming name, Paul Stewart. It's two first names. Yeah, we have this thing in Australia. <laughs> we have this thing in Australia where you never it's trust. Like a fake trust ID, isn't it? Yeah, you never trust yeah. a man with two first names. So yeah. it's a bit harsh on people with two first names. Witness but, protection. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he was he was heavily involved in the careers of House of Pain, De La Soul, Cypress Hill, and he saw the value in hip hop collective, and he convinced the four of them to lock in and record a demo tape and he created some interest in them. Amani claimed that everyone except Def Jam wanted to sign them, and they were frustrated because Def Jam was a label they really wanted to be validated by. They actually signed, Def Jam actually signed Onyx instead of Farside. So Farside went with Delicious Vinyl after they met the owners out in Hollywood, and they said they felt really great about it at first. You know, it was like a tight-knit family. And Amani is quick to point out that Farside were just one of many, many influential acts around this time. And it's probably true that artists like D-La Soul get a lot more credit when it's all said and done. You know, they came along at such a pivotal time in hip-hop and a time that we've never seen since where jazz was a huge influence on the sound and underground artists were going gold and platinum without charting high. You know, that was a big part of the late 80s and early 90s was artists who... 
you know, they, they weren't charting above 50 on the Billboard 200, but their, their albums were shipping out gold in the end. And I find it really fascinating. I want to talk about that at one, not in this episode, but at some stage in the future. And, yeah. you know, Jay Swift laced them up. Jay Swift laced them up on that first album. He was born in Spain and he was only 20 when he produced their debut album. He moved to LA at the age of three and began studying piano at age six. Apparently, he became very adept at it very quickly. People call him a prodigy. He actually met Reggie Andrews at age 17, and he composed three Jack Swing-style beats to catch Andrew's eye because Andrew was in the R&B scene. And Andrew Andrews liked it so much that he actually hooked him up with a recording studio, linked him with numerous major labels. Um, by the time that Farside's debut was being recorded, Jay Swift at age 20 was the most musically advanced of them all. He was a veteran, basically, in comparison. So before I, I dive into that album, I, I do want to speak on Jay Swift a little because I feel like this is why Farside were hesitant to lock down a true core group because in interviews they mentioned that the group has a rolling roster, but they didn't really have a rolling roster. It was kind of like they started with, what, five and then it kind of just diminished down to two in the end. So there wasn't a lot of people coming in. It was kind of like, you know, they might claim that Jay Diller was part of it at some point, but I, I see it more like this was the five and then people started to drop off. Uh, Amani said that, you know, people grew older, they grew apart, but Jay Swift was integral to their debut album. Their debut album's a classic. It's, it's an absolute straight up classic. But even during the process of recording it, they begin to separate because... Jay Swift went through some horrible situations. He actually was addicted to crack cocaine. He ended up homeless. He even got sent to jail in Vancouver in the mid-2010s. He was arrested in 2012 for cocaine possession, been locked in all these legal battles. You know, he's toured with Farside since, but I do feel like their falling out had a lot to do with the instability of the group. And I just want to say that to start with, because as we get through the albums, you're going to see that the... I mean, it depends on your subjective opinion, but most people would say that the quality dips pretty dramatically as we as we progress. And um, I really do think that this was just a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. Bizarre ride to the far side. I really do think it was, you know, it was like lightning in a bottle. So, yeah, we could jump into that, Charlie, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Um, yeah, I find, I, uh, you know, but, uh, obviously the album cover itself always is one of the most iconic and you always see it about when uh, people talk about just uh, classic uh, hip-hop albums and just how iconic he is. And I've, I've always personally wondered, it can't just be passing me by, right? It can't, it, it's not just that, right? There's obviously more to it. Because, uh, yeah, at that point, most of the time I was just seeing it and... Uh, it's just one of those times where you see, you hear like a couple of tracks, and you're like, okay, okay, right. Uh, but I don't, I don't get why it's like, you know, so heralded, and uh, why it's, uh, you know, recently got a twenty five, twenty fifth anniversary, uh, uh, I guess a reissue in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I, I learned, I learned some stuff. <laughs> I learned some stuff when it comes to this. Uh, yeah, listening to the album is uh, super just wavy like it, it can't it comes across as uh li- it's funny it is a ride in some way it literally is a very interesting ride like it goes i uh, just just that uh what's that one track oh shit <laughs> oh shit <laughs> i love that track so fucking much bro it's so funny i i just love the playfulness that this come uh, this uh album comes across with 
it, it's funny you mention uh, the rolling cast bit. I want to uh, uh, harp on that just a little bit. You know, we obviously talked about D- uh, Digital Underground a few weeks ago, and that was a genuine rolling cast. Like, <laughs> like that, that was genuinely rolling. It was just like Shock G and loads of other dudes like uh, uh, from album to al- uh, from album to album and just somehow it works on that front and uh yeah this one this this group it comes uh, overall just to know on that it comes across as just like uh you know uh, the four guys j swift and then just you know a couple people here and there coming in uh doing whatever um and uh even when that said you know this particular album uh, comes across uh, as just the, the the storytelling is just so loopy. Uh, I, 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 I sometimes honestly got a bit lost in a lot of ways uh, while I was just like walking around. I'm just like, wait, 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 wait what are we talking about now? <laughs> just some of that. Uh, I did learn a uh, I did learn a term re- uh, uh, of this, uh, the dozens, uh, which in normal ter- in normal terms in these days is uh, roasting. Uh, basically, just roast battles, and uh, that's uh, it's it's actually called the game of dozens. Um, in terms of just like insulting each other till one person gives up, which is very fascinating. I didn't realize roast sessions had uh, had many other terms, but uh, the dozens is one of them. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it, it's 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 an interesting album, just from a uh, especially from a skit perspective. I, I enjoy the skits of uh, skits are very amusing. Uh, your mum is great. Pass me by is obviously a classic. Uh, pack the pipe is fascinating. I love the weed anthems that these guys have. Uh, they're very there's, there's some fun weed anthems here. Um, lengthy outros, which uh, since Mary J Blige, I keep noticing when we go when we go back to some uh, 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 retrospectives. I'm just like, oh, an album with long uh, long ass uh, outros. It's just uh, it just. It really is like a night and day thing when you listen to something these days and there's just fuck all outro. And then when you go back to something in the 90s, it's just like a minute, a minute and a half outro. It's just, it, it, it really, it could really throw you off whack because you're just like, oh, come on, next track, next track. But I, I try not to. Um, but yeah, this is a great album. Uh, I can understand why people uh, enjoy it a lot. Um, it's, it's just perfect, uh, you know, bumping the whip, just. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel like it needs to have that. Uh, like a lot of, um, I feel like sometimes when I say it doesn't have to be listened to, um, actively. You know, what I mean, when you're when you're like, you know, lyric peeping, bar examining, stuff like that. When I when I say that, it can I can understand if people go like, you know, uh, well, is it well, it's just shit then if it, if you're not if you're not actually like, you know, listening to the lyrics or whatever. But you know. I I feel like it doesn't need doesn't always need to be. I can if I want to, but uh, I feel like it's much more enjoyable uh, when you just bump this in the background. You know what I mean? If you know the lyrics, it's obviously much better. That's what I'm. That's you know, that's a that's a benefit. It's not a be or an end all for me. Um, but you know, if you pop this on the background, pop this on the car, you're gonna get some good rhythms. You're gonna get some great rhythms, great beats, uh, and just uh, some really fun, light hearted stuff coming through. And yeah, man, you can't ask for any more. It's just a solid album overall. I love it. It went gold in the US. And uh, yeah, man, it's a, it's a great piece of work. Yeah, I think it's it's natural that this album would be considered a classic. And you know, I want to posit something here because we often talk about this time period being so essential uh, to remain relevant of the time. 
But honestly, in 1992, I feel like this album sounds like it was from 1989, which theoretically should lump it into the same criticisms we gave like Warren G. But I actually think the fact that it sounded so 1980s gave it like a really big helping hand because I think gangster rap was taking over at this point in time. And even artists like Tribe Called Quest and D-La were going in different directions by 1992. And I felt that this album didn't break any new ground, but it was fun. It was lighthearted. It reminded us that hip-hop was born of live performance and spontaneity, where Digital Underground was fun in a different way, like a, a much weirder, super weird way, like a kooky kind of all over the place way, where mm-hmm. Farside was just fun. You know, their, their lyrics were so late teens, early 20s, and I actually feel like their flows were really inventive and quite experimental and very technically proficient. A lot of the time they would allow the beat yeah. to breathe and they would just kind of check in with it whenever they felt like it. You know, it was almost like, oh, yeah, we'll just rock in. It's like, we'll just turn up, drop a few bars, we'll leave again. It was it was really wild. And, uh, of course, they had to have an ode to masturbation on here, on the DL. But, you know, we actually got um, the prank call dedication. I hated that song. I really did not like that song. I can't. I don't know. And th- and this was the thing. I think this is probably proof of how off the cuff this album is. It feels like a night out with a bunch of college kids. Like some of it's going to be mm. absolute gold, but sometimes mm. it's going to go too far. And I think sometimes yeah. they went too far. And I, I really like the way they opened the album on Oh Shit. I think, I think oh, Lo- shit. Yeah, Lonely Island parodied this or paid homage to it on the opening track of Turtleneck and Chain. And they talk about how small imagine. their members are. And it's a really common, this is, I say that to say it's like a really common tactic in comedy where this self-deprecation is used as a vessel yep. for connection to the audience. Kind of like, yep. hey, look how weird and odd we are. We're just like you. Because, you know, all yep. humans are fucking weird and odd. And this is why, to me, it had that 1980s quality to it where the posturing and the hyper-masculinity that began to take over hip-hop was really washed away and the critics love this album, man. They they really gushed over it. Some of their words are clunky as fuck. I mean, you know, what they were doing was capturing the essence of youthful abandon. Most of us has been through it, and it's actually probably a stage more to be endured than embraced, uh, especially when you get to later life and look back at this time period. If you're lucky enough to have actually left it by the time you're 30, I know people who are 40 who still act this way, but... You know, I think the fact that it sounded nothing like nothing else in 92 contributed to like reviews like this. This review was funny. It's like the group style was unlike that of any who came before. The main distinction came in the far side subject matter, which run the gamut from the usual sexual conquest all the way to rejection and masturbation. The group's lyrics are often reflective and vulnerable, bordering on self-deprecating at times. While many rappers who came before poked fun at themselves as a gimmick, the far side relates its rebuffs with confident candor. Oh, come on now. Like, let's just be serious here. Don't write that review. It's <laughs> way too intense, that review, man. It's a funny album. And, you know... They're not po- the, the thing about it was they're not poking at poking fun at themselves as a gimmick. Like it's actually being serious. And but the thing is, I feel like Biz Marquis did this as well. It's not it's not groundbreaking in the yeah. sense. This is my whole point. Yeah. The reason why it's a classic album is because it sounded so different to most of what was coming out in 1992. And if we yeah. look yep, yep, at yep. Digital Underground, we could say Digital Underground, but Digital Underground was different. It was just like. It was like Monty Python levels of, you know, off the wall kind of humor. 
but these guys were just, you know, fun. And the album is a classic. I'm never taking anything away from that. Uh, you know, all the other stuff is just the the noise around it. Charting at 75 and still going gold, uh, that's that's a huge record in the scheme of things. And it really kept Native Tongues going going stronger. That sound, they kept that sound, the Daisy Age, as they called it. They kept it going. And yeah, it was it was a great project, honestly. It's it's a great first listen. You know, if you never listened to it before and you go and spin it, you're like, oh yeah. man, this is like a breath of fresh air on a shitty day. So yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, wonder if uh, Ethan P would write something like that. Uh, I don't know, man. Free. Ethan P is more in the yeah. He he kind of like yeah. I think Ethan P would make it even more disrespectful. But <laughs> I I'd like to hear from him on the topic. I really would. You know, I'm always interested in what Ethan P has to say. Yeah, always on Ethan P. Alright, um, Lab Cab in California, uh, which is uh, I th- can we both agree is the best uh, album of the four? Ah. Uh, uh, yeah yeah i mean it's the most uh, it's the no it is because i mean bizarre rides to the far sides a lot of fun it's kind of like instinctive you know it's like the people's instinctive it's it's like that first crazy out there album and then the next one they've just like worked it all out kind of thing so yeah yeah, i agree with Mm -hmm. you there okay all right, cool. Um, yeah, exactly. That's that's a perfect uh, comparison. Uh, is how it's what how I feel towards Lab Cabin. Um, yeah, this this comes through with like such just great songs. I feel I feel like Vizarai is like um, just like an overall fun a uh, uh, fun thing to fun thing to listen to. But uh, Lab Cabin has just some really just really just straight up great tracks like uh bullshit with that uh with that uh, bob marley sample it's got jay diller production running obviously classic uh can't say anything uh, anything about that hasn't been said before uh but also stuff like uh you know drop is a single uh hey you's great why i love why tell me why oh gosh that's so good it's so fucking good it it just reminds me of like a, I don't know something like a uh, I don't know it's it, it's it's tracks like that that are, are very popular and are just you know super just known in the hip hop lexicon uh you know be like that it be like that it's just it's so jumpy like it just it just it just oh it's just begging to get the crowd going it's begging to be done live. Uh, I don't even know. Did I? Did they, was did they do that on Beat Horizon? I'm not sure. <laughs> I hope I hope they did. Um, but yeah, uh, there's just some really great tracks I really enjoy from these. The sampling is outstanding when they get into it. Uh, there's a Roy Ayers sample on a uh, on a uh, The Hustle, which is great. Uh, Devil music's fun, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, I I just. <laughs> I, re- I really enjoy just the overall nature of this uh, album it's different it's not exactly it, it, well you said you said it before it's not the um it's not the thr- uh, the the laid back let's just make an album kind of freeness that you know instinctive travels for example has and obviously uh bizarre ride has but it's just much more polished and there's just much more uh it has the good it has the good stuff but it's just been polished a little bit, and uh, I just really, I, I just really enjoy that. A lot of these uh, songs come to me as uh, with just some great. It, it's just some great sampling, elite production, uh, legends on here. Diamond D's on some of the uh, does some of these uh, production as well. Um, 
and obviously some of the far side as well, which is actually an underrated, I think, thing that we should we should note that you know Slim Kid and uh, Fat Lip and uh, I see uh, uh, the others as well. You know they had their hand in production as well, and I feel like that's a really uh, general thing we should probably note uh, uh, here before we continue because uh, I just I, I just rate that I rate I rate the fact that um, especially Slim Kid um and uh yeah slim kid especially uh comes through with uh production credits on a lot of these a lot of this work before he leaves uh uh before the uh, last album but you know he's 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 there for most of the time booty brown does a couple as well i just find that very interesting as well the fact that they had a genuine hand in production in uh, a lot of these tracks but also had some you know legends on on their stuff uh and lab cabin is where it just uh really I think comes uh, all comes together. Um, it has the it has the OP people that you know that we the big names that I've already named and everyone knows to do some to do some good stuff. Uh, obviously, Running is the uh, the perfect example for that of having an iconic J Dilla beat, uh, and also I think I think he did Drop as well. If, I, if I'm correct, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and obviously, it has the iconic. Beastie Boys drop sample, um, and yeah, it's a uh, it's just a perfect storm. I feel in a lot of ways, uh, in terms of just their creative arc, uh, I, I just feel like it's a real cre- uh, perfect storm. And they just uh, took whatever was from uh, uh, Bizarre Ride. Uh, they have the wackiness still there. It still it still features, but they polished it, got their lyrics up, and uh, the production game just uh, took went to new heights. Yeah, I mean, in the interim for this album, they went on tour with Tribe and Dila, and they actually appeared at Lollapalooza in 94. They also worked with the Stolen Moments album, which was promoting AIDS awareness. Uh, They all moved to California into a house together. Booty Brown said that their touring post-Bizarre Ride was really essential in establishing themselves within the industry. Uh, He actually said, I remember questioning... People questioning what type of music we were making. It took about two years of steady touring to stake our claim. And Imani actually said even more about their touring schedule. He said, we had to do all kinds of shows, bar mitzvahs, wedding receptions, Lollapalooza, uh, second stage in a row, killing that shit while the Beastie Boys and George Clinton were coming to see who these guys were on the second stage. So we started getting this popularity, but we weren't selling records. But everyone in their mama was like, who is the fucking far side? These motherfuckers are killing this Lollapalooza stage. And then people was like off stage when we go on stage. It was like the big stage, right? Imani's interviews are wild. If you listen to them, just as a side note, they're very fascinating the way he speaks. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, the album was definitely different. It was different because, you know, they had Jay Diller. He actually produced six songs on here. Uh, Diamond D was producing as well. They had genuine chart success with, with Drop and Running. Oh, running, sorry. Running went number 55, which is really high. The album actually charted at 37, which was twice as high as their debut, but it didn't go gold, and it actually suffered from mixed reviews. And I think, you know, it was a different sound, no doubt. But Amani said that the, the label wanted a part two to the original album, which is how labels work, of course, but they didn't want to do anything that sounded like their first record. And I actually find his words on this fascinating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read an excerpt here, and it's quite long. But almost the same way that Shock G was hypercritical of Digital Underground's label, Amani said that Delicious Vinyl didn't even want their first album to sound like it did. But when it did well, 
they acted like they wanted it all along, which is standard label stuff. But in his words, all right, Amani's words, is, I'm going to try and read this out verbatim. Fuck all y'all. Y'all wasn't feeling it's the first time, the first go around. First, we was clear you ain't want nothing to do with it. Now you want me to tell me how to do it. Fuck, of it, fuck out of here, motherfucker. <laughs> like, that's exactly the vibe that was going on. First, they were clear that they didn't want to do it. Then they want to tell us how to do it. Right, so what we did was we went to New York. We hooked up with Q-Tip and hooked up with Diamond D. Hooked up with everybody that reached out to us. So we got with Dilla. We called, well, he was JD at the time. Dilla was something he turned into later. He was JD when he when we was fucking with him. And so we flew him to New York. We was fucking with him and it's like magic. But he ain't barely talking. But he works with his hands and he's talking with his beats. And he walks so works so fast and he's so unorthodox and he's so quiet and he's so introverted. You're not, you don't really believe what's happening. He's just amazing. And he's everything you thought you couldn't do. He was doing everything you thought had a rule. He was breaking it. We was just loving this dude. So he came in to do a couple of songs and he ended up doing half the record and we just became homies with him. And before you know it, Dila got a beat with him. Before you know it, Common got a whole record and before you know it, hey, ah. So like, I found that really interesting. Amani, I, I actually feel like that that's doing an injustice to Amani. I think that the interview that I read was probably using like a speech to text function and the speech to text function was not working very well. So I apologize profusely to Amani if I've misquoted you there, but that's the the quote from the actual interview on on the website I went to. But he actually talks at length about Q-Tip and not getting a beat from him. I kind of feel like this album, they were willing to take their hands off the wheel for a little bit and let others guide the sound. Um, the mixed reception to me is exactly the kind of thing that Jay Diller came up against in his entire early career. Like people didn't understand the sound and the vision. To me, anyway, like I think "Running" is one of the greatest hip hop beats of all time. I don't care what anyone says about that. Like honestly, it's an unbelievable beat, and they were all incredible on it. You know, Juice World re-upped that sample for "Make Believe," and I don't know how Jay Dilla isn't list- listed as a producer on "Make Believe" because it's a lift. It's it's a lift, genuinely. So I don't know how that worked, but yeah, man, I, the the way that Splatatorium hits those drums, it's like. Bro, it feels like a live performance. I don't know how Dilla... We don't. It's just alchemy a lot of the time. It's so crisp. And Drop has this weird time signature. It feels like it's going to slip into a regular loop, but it's so off-kilter. And to me, that was the disappointment... Uh, sorry, the genius of Dilla, Dilla and I guess the disappointment of the critics who kind of fawned over their debut because it was really different. But to me, it showcased that all of them could rap really, really well. And... I see, yeah, I see this as a Beats, Rhymes, and Life kind of thing where, you know, it was way more mid-90s boom bap, which is, that's when boom bap was at its peak in the mid-90s. And I think the production on here is really stunning. But I can understand if you built your name off jazz rap, then people might see that album as a reduction rather than an expansion, you know? Yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can imagine that. Um, but they both slap as, as, a, as subgenres, so... I can't complain either way. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, okay. So uh, this is uh, it's I think it's 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 similar. The the tribe comparisons are so interesting. The way we keep mentioning it, but I know, I in some it, yeah. in in some in some ways, it's uh you know they both had a career of two halves, and uh, this the next two albums is the second half. Um, 
plain rap. So dropped to two thousand, and uh, I I just wonder, I it, what the uh, you know obviously we can look up critical you know reception easily right, and just uh you know live off that, but. For something like this, I'm always fascinated of just like what it was on the ground. Like how did how did people respond to this on the ground um, to this album? Because like I actually I don't I like this album uh, in in a sense that it feels like it feels like there's a concept there. Uh, it, it feels the mo- it feels like the most um, I guess uh, what's the word. It feels like the most consistent in a way. Maybe not like it's the, it's it's not Lab Cabin in terms of just like you know uh, memorable tracks, right? I don't I don't think it's that kind of uh, thing. But it feels consistent in how it goes about its uh, how it, how the album comes and goes. Um, funny enough, uh, I didn't even realize at the time. Excuse me, at the time, uh, but uh, there's a fucking Black Thor feature on it. I didn't even clock. I didn't even clock at first. And I was like looking up the credits. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Is that, what was that Black Thor? Oh shit, let me run that back. Uh, so yeah, I had to run Network back uh, one time. But yeah, I I I feel like uh, there was an interesting, um, just just front to back nature with this album, and I actually honestly really enjoyed it. Um, I like uh especially like the middle to near near the end of the album. Uh, I prefer the trust remix to the trust original. Uh, that's another th- that's one thing I don't know. Uh, but yeah, once it gets more more to the end uh, with stuff like uh, guest list evolution, I really enjoy. Frontline's interesting. Uh, but it's also stuff in the middle. Uh, I think Blaze was the one I'm thinking of, or maybe Rush, one of the two. Um. But yeah, you know, it's only thirteen tracks. It doesn't. It comes. It comes by very quickly. For uh, it came by very quickly for me when I was listening to it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it, and it is inter- also interesting the fact that uh, on producer credits, um, it's only uh, Brown Swift Showbiz. Uh, come on, come on down, Showbiz apparently, um, and also um, uh, Slim Kid Trey. Um, so. Interesting that it comes it comes out of the uh, you know lab cabin days where it, like I said that had kind of like a perfect storm attitude about it and clearly there was a gap in between here uh, as you know it's five years and a lot changed in five years especially in hip hop circles um, so I, I I find this an interesting album from for especially in the time period it's in. It doesn't sound like a two thousands album and you know in it feels at that point. If I listen to this in 2000, I'll be just like, what is this, you know, uh, mid-90s shit, you know what I mean, stuff like that. But in hindsight, I enjoyed it because it fits with the overall uh, essence that the far side have had up to this point. Uh, but I just do, I do find this interesting in terms of just the fact that it dropped in 2000. Yeah, it just sounds like a traditional uh, boom bappy uh, slash jazzy uh, far side album as in the same essence of, of the other two, uh, but obviously that's not how people uh, like to go about things <laughs> in terms in terms of music, unless it's you know Griselda, but you know I'm, I'm, that's a straight shot. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, plain raps, plain rap, 
yeah, it, the, the last album broke up the band, really, the, the album prior to this. So Fat Lip left, citing differences, and there were rumors of genuine fistfights between him and Trey. Trey would actually be absent from the next album, so he was on this album. Uh, Booty Brown said it was heartbreaking at first with Fat Lip leaving, but with Trey leaving, it was a sh- it was shrewd, being that it was the average scenario of money coming into play. It is easier to work with someone who is willing to work than those you have to force. The best terms we can be at is not being able, not speaking to each other for a while. So you know, I can't understand that frustration. And more problems arose too. Like Delicious Vinyl actually shelved their EP. They had an EP called Karma. Uh, so this would be the last album they dropped on the label. This time period is really fascinating to me because I think this is what happens to people in life in general. You know, you grow up with a group of people who you kind of feel like will be there forever. But life happens, man. Life happens in your mid to late 20s and things get bent out of shape. People grow in different directions. Farside was so vivid and overt with their youthfulness on their debut and then clearly more insular and focused on their second. It's really interesting to see that the extra work and energy broke the group open and pushed them away from their label. So Brown said, we were growing as a group and they were not growing along with us. This is about the label. I feel that we outgrew the relationship we first had when we started Delicious Final with Delicious Final. So Plain Rap was the final album with Trey involved. Fatlip was gone. Black Thought pops up on the network. That was, yeah, as Charlie said, that surprised the hell out of me. This album was panned, and it's a ba- it's not a good album, to be 100%. It just, it has bad energy. That's how I feel about it. Like, Farside were all about energy and vibe and, and just having fun and, and offhandedness. And on their second album, they really focused in, right? And they really showcased their technical ability, but it was still fun. It was still a good energy. But the very first song is Trust, and they hammer Fat Lip for the whole song. And Amani said the group feel like they were going to do... They, the, Amani actually said that they were only going to do three records together. And he says when they dropped the first two, it felt like the job was done. So I feel like this album feels quite scattered and diminished. Because I think if, if this came from a new group, maybe I'd really like it. But I don't know. The fact that I, I, I just can't really... It's just weird. It's a weird album. Like Trust was the only single they dropped off this album, and it's just a diss song to, to Fat Lip. I, I thought that that was just uh, I don't know. It was it was tough. Plain, on plain rap, it feels like they've been beaten down by life, and they're quite jaded and cynical on here. There's a song on here called Misery. You know, it's it's a bitter and sad record in a lot of ways, and. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever, right? I love that kind of music because I feel that way a lot of the time. But it just jarred me so much to hear it from Farside because it was like, but it makes sense. And I think what Charlie's saying about how this album was uh, received when it dropped, right? The thing that I think is like, if this had dropped, like if I'd been going through this process myself with them, maybe I would have grown with them and felt this way. But just listening to it back to back to back, when I first listened to, because I had never heard Bizarre Ride to the Far Side before in my life, like genuinely, you know, honesty moment, I'd never listened to it. So when I listened to that, I was like, oh man, this is a vibe, this is bouncing around, it's having fun. Now I listened to their second album, I'm like, oh wow, they're really locking in here. And then 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I'm listening to their third album, which came out eight years after their debut. So if you think about that time period, it's a huge amount of time. Like people have grown and progressed. Your fans are in a different headspace. I was in the same headspace I was an hour ago. 
And I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Why is it so angry? What's going on here? So I think Charlie's point is really salient. How was this received? And it was, I don't think it got enough press to really understand and know how people actually received it. I can't can't find many interviews or many like reviews or anything about this album. I think that they were kind of losing their mainstream appeal by this time and they were kind of dropping right off the map. So it's hard to know, but it would have been really fascinating to see because I think personally, if I'd grown with them and actually listened to this album eight years after their, their debut, and I would have been in my late thir- late 20s by that time as well, if, if you know the timelines matched up, this album might have really appealed to me. It might have really made sense. But, um, you know, it's just if I'd listened to this album first before Bizarre Ride, I actually think I would have liked this one maybe the most. But having listened to the first two albums and then this, I'm like, mm. what the fuck is this? This is confusing. So I think that that's one of those problems that maybe it's an existential thing where we go back and listen to artists over time where we stack mm. them up and we don't grow with the artists. We don't because we're not giving them the opportunity that we had to grow and learn and progress. We're just saying, well, this doesn't make sense. What the fuck is this? This is so different to your your first album. But you consider eight years between that. So I think this album makes sense, but um, it's a different sound. There was Jay Swift was back for this record too, by the way. He produced some of the songs on here. So that was good. But yeah, fascinating album. Yeah, uh, I feel like there's something in the background there. When you mentioned uh, Dish's vinyl and uh, the fact they broke up pretty much at that point, uh, even when you listen to something like Trust, uh, which is, uh, you know, Imani and Booty go for Fat Lip pretty clearly, but Slim Kid doesn't in some way. I think he gets more existential in his particular verse. Uh, I think he says something like, I'll be gone soon, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, and if you look at their solo careers, uh, they both dropped uh, albums in the 2000s via Delicious Vinyl. And uh, that, I don't know what that, I don't know what that says, but uh, I'm just, I'm just throwing the dots out there. If you want to join them, go join them. Um, but it goes on to the far side, which is now obviously at this point, just Booyi and Imani. And Humboldt Beginners comes out in 04 via Chapter 1 and not Delicious Vinyl. So, again... Dots want to link them? Go for it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, going into um, <clears throat> uh, just Humboldt, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's 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 not the same. It, it is it's not the same. It, it, it's not uh, like the the I think, and this is kind of I I don't really have much to it, uh, much to say about it. There are like a few. Uh, you know, I, I do like the vibes of a couple of tracks. Uh, the ahas, uh, uh, I like uh, rules and regulations. Mixed greens was very fascinating to me. Like it just turned into a reggae track all of a sudden halfway through, and I was just like, okay. Uh, clouds was like a like I could have easily just been a straight up jazz track. Uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, and also you know something like dedication, which uh you know was is very. That was very um, right off into the sunset kind of vibes, and uh, you know I, I respect that side of it. But um, yeah, overall, it's just um, like when when half of the group, half of the gang's gone, man, and uh, uh, I don't think Jay Swift's anywhere to be found on this record either. Uh, majority of the production is by Space Boy Boogie X, which is a fucking amazing name for anything. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of. <sighs> It's it's kind of empty. It's it's an empty finish, and it feels just so. Uh, it's just one of those arcs that come that just 
that just don't finish the way you want it to. Uh, it's not really a happy ending in a lot in any way. Uh, but I'm sure they're all happy in their own ways. You know what I mean? Is is what it is. I'm sure they're fine. Uh, but yeah, just as an album, it it's just it's okay. You know what I mean? It's cool. There's some gems in there, but like it's it's at the end of the day, it's literally just uh, Imani and, and Booty Brown at that point, and uh, you know Fat Lib's gone, Slim Kid's gone, and you know they added a lot of variety uh, to with their own individual essences and performances. Uh, in the previous albums, and uh, you know, while this has some, like I said, has some gems in there, it doesn't, it just doesn't have the same anything <laughs> as as uh, the, as the first two, and uh, yeah, it just it just comes across as empty, uh, as an empty finish. This album, um, I wrote it down here. You know what this album is? This is me going out to a club at age thirty-two, like older, slower less in tune with what's actually yeah. cool and more in tune with yeah. what I think sounds cool, more anxious, yeah. more cautious, not carefree <laughs> because I've lived life and I know what kind of garbage life can throw, but still trying to enjoy myself, you know? And I, I think that that's what Humboldt Beginnings is. Uh, it's a hearty attempt. Yeah. It's a hearty attempt. I like the opening song a lot, you know? Um, it's like, okay, they're going to try something really different here. This is so mid two thousands. Oh my days! So mid two thousands. Like eighty eight keys on here. Uh, Bong loads two. That that could be on a Snoop album for sure. Uh, rules <laughs> rules and regulations sounded to me like if Timberland got a lobotomy, but in a good way because it's like uh, you know. <laughs> but I, I okay. enjoyed that. Like I, I don't know. You see, uh, uh, this album was received really poorly. Um, it, it basically ended things for the duo and. They, they, yeah, they took another solid hiatus before this album um, and obviously after this album. And uh, Brown said, I, it has been a learning stage for me. I had to decide if I was to take what was given to me, knowing we changed the direction of hip hop, or if I would be a typical bitter artist who bitches about the industry and the corporate structure. It is an album that I expect that people will grow into. A smile, a laugh, a cry. I want to go out and shake my ass and afterwards go make out kind of feeling. And I understand that, man. I understand that. I respect Farside for, for going down the entire path, for going through the full arc and not trying to force it to kind of allow it to unfold in front of them. And I do see a lot, and I said this in the, the with the previous album, but I do see a lot of their journey in my own journey, kind of starting really carefree and fun-loving, just inane and offhanded, life of the party, weird jokes, and then trying to pull it all together and channel it, which was kind of me at university. And then my own hiatus. I had my own hiatus for like four years and then plain rap drops when I'm really bitter and frustrated and annoyed and irritated with life and all the people I'd lost. And then the final album is attempt to create a new, less intense image that you know has all the knowledge and experiences of life but is trying to like recapture that early kind of off-handed kind of fun aspects and it's it's not going to work like you can't really do it and i think that's what happened with this album and yeah it's an interesting ending we always come to this like very rarely do we see these retrospectives end well tied up and like you know with a i think tribe was probably the only group that i would say has had a really great well tied up end you know, I can't think of too many others who have who have done that. Um, and Tribe was just sad, the fact that it ended, because, you know, Fife had passed. So 
that was just a sad ending, but it was an ending. Whereas Farside, similar to so many other groups, it's just like, like we didn't get anything more from them after 2004. And they, they toured and everything, and they worked together on certain things, and kind of meant feel like they went back to their pre uh, Farside days almost, where they kind of just were in each other's orbit every now and then and did some stuff together every now and then and toured a little bit together. But um, I don't think there was anywhere else for them to go after this album. I think this is probably... I, I couldn't see... You can't go back and create another Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. You can't go back and create their second album again. So, yeah, I see it as a, you know, as a pretty pretty definitive ending. But at the same time, it's petered out, right? Like, they didn't grow. It's not that they didn't grow. They did. They grew, they grew and they matured. But it just didn't get better in time. It just kind of went down and down the quality. So it's interesting. It's a really interesting story. I find these retrospectives fascinating where we gravitate towards, like, a classic album or a classic time period. And we look at that time period and we dissect it. And it's amazing. But then we track what happens afterwards and the the directions that they go in and the kind of like <laughs> deflation that we feel after that uh. initial uh, high. Imagine, mm-hmm. imagine what the groups actually felt. Like, you know, think about that for just a second. It's like mm. you're one of the most influential groups in hip-hop and then your second album comes out and people are not really fucking with it even though you've got fucking Jay Diller on there and you're... Then your your next album comes out and everything falls apart and you quit your label and half the band leaves and bro it must be fucking tumultuous when you when you look at it like how how these people dealt with this I don't know but yeah, it's a fascinating story far side story yeah I feel like there's a lot of a lot of uh, far side esque stories that we don't know about if that makes any sense mm-hmm. I I feel this I feel far side is uh, a legacy that is, um, uh, I think, very. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like there are a lot of similar stories to this, but the petering out part of it does uh, just literally silences any of it. Like the fact that uh, the fact that they had Lab Cabin and uh, and Bizarre Ride uh, really. Um, really just held them up it, it really just held them up from a legacy perspective uh i i, I feel like there's a lot of stories um that have uh, and a lot of uh, groups especially i feel uh that have arcs such as this and uh and and peter out and we may never even think about doing a retrospective for them <laughs> right uh but you know with something with some with a group like Farside, it's it's very on the cusp there and uh, the fact that they, you know, still have uh, something to uh, something to say, and I think the fact that they were uh, they did peak in the mid '90s, and obviously their music at that point was very uh, against the grain for what was out there at the at that point uh, says a lot, and I think it deserves a lot of emphasis uh, in terms of what. Uh, it, in how to go about a lot of things, not just like artistry, but uh, not not just music, but in general artistry and just in life in general. Like it, it, they, uh, not not they they could have easily done like gangster rap, or whatever. It's probably another steez, but like 
they I don't think they uh saw gangster rap first and were just like let's do the opposite like they just went and did their own thing and that's why Bizarre Riot and, and Lab Cabin feel so refreshing to listen to uh is because especially with that context if you know that context you you see it so as a as just like a real palate cleanser for yourself um and you know compared to these days it is still a palate cleanser in, in a lot of ways and um, there's there's not many uh groups that focus on you know just that light-hearted attitude towards living and uh you know dedicating whole tracks to your mama jokes like it's just <laughs> no, no no nobody nobody's do, nobody's doing that uh nobody's doing that light-hearted nature um in especially in the way I feel fast I did it it was just so authentic on that front um and because they went against the grain I feel like that really boosted them in some ways but it 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 rarely takes you to the top. Like the top is the the mainstream is still the mainstream. You know what I mean? Like unless you unless you're doing it, it's 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 very rare that you get to uh, go to such heights and actually you know show to the masses that you know there's something different to listen to. The reason why it's called mainstream music is because it's what the mainstream want, right? They just want the same shit, and uh, you know, and it takes a real it, t- it takes a real monumental event for uh for uh, the the di- uh, the um uh what's the word D- dynamic not the dynamic uh, for the uh for the ground to shift basically for lack of a better phrase it t- it takes a lot and uh, you know Farside wasn't that um you know a lot a lot of groups but Digital Underground wasn't that uh Tribe kind of was that what you know what i mean like you, you could say you could say that but you know even with that said uh gangster rap was still top so they were still technically counterculture if that if uh, in hip-hop circles so you know it is a fascinating career and at least there's two classic albums out there um that you guys can definitely listen to um not gonna discourage you to not listen to plain rap or even humble uh but uh you know there's still there's two classics that you can you should definitely just at least uh, peep, and uh, I'm gonna definitely get a vinyl of those two uh, one day for sure. Yeah, well said. Well said. All right, with that said, let's hop into like no Chappies League boy. What yeah, do you man. think, bro? Look, dummy. Look, <laughs> I'm happy that Chelsea won because Man City. Like people were saying, there was no pressure on Man City. There was so much pressure on Man City. They had the manager, they had the money, they had the players. They, there was all leading up to this moment. Their first Champions League final, their first Champions League victory, and Chelsea stole it from them. Bro, Chelsea hired Frank Lampard and then sacked him halfway through the year. They were completely in disarray. But their second half of the season is peerless. Like they got a double. It's crazy to me, like you know. So, oh, they didn't get the double, did they? They lost the to Leicester in the FA Cup. So they yes, they came they close. Did. They came close to a double, but keep going. Okay, just, play, just playing some music. All right. So yeah, no, no. Yeah, you'll, was, you'll get it in a second. I was stoked, man. I was stoked. So Chelsea deserve. Chelsea deserve. Man City, yeah. It's disappointing for them. Chelsea. Chelsea! Chelsea! 
I feel like I didn't even know you were a Chelsea fan until like a year ago. How 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 <coughs> dead dead like how committed are you to Chelsea? Uh, it's it, football for me is like so low in my identity ladder that uh, it comes as a surprise to people when I'm actually interested. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I keep up with football. I I've always said to myself like ever since I was like maybe a teenager because I was just like I I got into I got into different stuff at that point and uh, football is so ubiquitous here that it's kind of impossible to tune yourself out. So. I kind of just like kept up uh, for the sake of keeping up, uh, and you know, whenever I talk to my friends, I, c- I know that I know what I'm talking about. You know, what I mean, I just keep at that level. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I just I don't know. I, I just um, it may it, it, a lot of people can see that as just like, oh right, so you just you know, you're there, you're there for the wins, but never for the losses and stuff like that. And I was like, not exactly. Like I ch- I still see get I still see their games, and I'm just like, oh, fucking hell, like, I just. You know, just do this, do that, stuff like that. I have these, I have those thoughts. I just choose not to really talk about it as often as mo- as you know as most football fans do. I, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just not high up on my identity ladder. That's basically how I see it. Uh, if 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 we, we want to talk about football, let's talk about some football. Like it's cool, but uh, you know, I I really I I really get into that. Apart from maybe my pots and uh, Ryan. And uh, a couple more mates. Like I, I, re- I really talk about football. It's, it's, it's not really that high up on my talking list. Um, it's, it's most likely when I know that somebody else is, when that other person's really into football, then I kind of dive into it with them just to indulge them. Uh, but when it comes to like, if I want to conversate about football, it's rare. It's rare when I want to actually conversate about football. But, uh, uh, but anyway, shout out to my mum, uh, who uh, has been present uh, the the two times that Chelsea have won the Champions League uh, final. Uh, I consider her good juju. And uh, for all Chelsea fans listening, you can thank my mother for being present, even though she was reading her Kindle as she was doing it. I mean, that's she's still there. She's still part of it. Still, Still presence, man. Still, still there. Just <laughs> it's great. She doesn't even remember the first time. Like I, I remember the first time of that 2012 one, right? Um, like the penalties, like just the absolute sweat buckets. Like it's disgusting. It was disgusting how like in in fucking puddles I was. Uh, when Drogba hit that goal, bro, uh, hit that penalty, bro, I I fell to the fucking floor. Uh, it's the fir- it's the only it's the one and only time I've actually sobbed. Uh, at a football result, like it's it's the genuine. It's the first only first and only time. Uh, I've generally had like un- uncontrollable emotions watching football, um, and she does remember it. <laughs> I was watching it. I was watching it, and she was like, "I was like, do you remember to it in 2012?" She was like, "No." I was like, "I was literally on the floor. I was literally below you. I was literally on the floor going, <laughs> I can't believe they did it. They fucking did it.'" Hmm. And you don't remember that? She was like, "No." I'm like, "Great. Cheers, wow. man." See, this is why this is why I have a camera so for, so I can capture these fucking memories because clearly she don't fucking remember. Well, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I felt this like I, I I was robbed of my moment of this when Tottenham played Ajax, right? So I was watching the game, yeah. and if anyone remembers, they were three nil up. Uh, no, sorry, they were one nil up in the first leg. Was this the semi final? Yeah, it was a semi, and it was yeah, away yeah, yeah, against yeah. Ajax, right? And there was. It was like the 95th minute and I was just like, I was so angry with Tottenham because Tottenham are just chokers. They always choke. And I was like, fuck this. <laughs> so I turned it off. I turned it off, right? 
And then, like, three minutes later, I'm like, eh, that's a bit oh. silly. Turn it back on. Oh, no. And it's 3-2, and everyone's going <laughs> bananas. So I, I literally missed one of the greatest moments in my club's history, <laughs> maybe the greatest moment in our club's history. I'm, yeah. I I luckily saw Crouch score against Man City on the final day to take us into the, the Champions League in, like, whenever that was, 2010, yeah. 2009, mm-hmm. whenever that was. It was an amazing moment. I was awake. It was, like, a ridiculous hour in the morning in Australia. I was going bonkers. But, yeah, we when we made to the Champions League final, I was mad stoked. And my dad came in. We set the TV up. And after, like, half an hour, we're like, oh, man, <laughs> we're going to get drubbed here. And we did get drubbed. So... Shout out to Chelsea, man. Like, I, I know there's all this stuff about London and how Tottenham fans can't be fans of Chelsea. and But, like, honestly, what a, what a season they have. What an insane season. Like, you can't even... They were they were just outsiders to even make top four. And then now they've won the Champions yeah. League. And it felt like they were always going to win it, to be 100%. I watched a game and, like, you know, Man City were decent. But they just... I don't know. I feel like they did choke a little bit. Like, they've been imperious the whole season. They've just... Everything... You know, even though Spurs did beat them early in the season 2-0, it just never felt like Man City was going to lose anything. And then, yeah, they, they lost. They lost to the big the big dance. And, uh, wow, man, Chelsea. I, I was actually pretty disappointed it was an all-England final because, you know, we've seen Chelsea play Man City a lot. Like, I kind of want a PSG yeah. in there or Real or yeah. someone else in there to kind of give it a little bit more ceremony. I thought PSG was going to do it. I thought they were too, and it looks like Poch is coming back to Tottenham now because everyone's saying that he's going to leave PSG, which I think is silly of him to do. Um, but yeah. again, again, like I guess it depends. Like there's a lot less pressure at Tottenham. You might think there's more, but PSG have to win everything with the with the the players they've got. Spurs yeah. are going to lose Harry Kane. No one knows what the fuck's going to happen next season. Harry Kane might go to fucking Chelsea. Who knows? Like we're fucked. We're not. We're not going to make. We might not even make top half next season at this rate. So there's a lot less pressure on Poch coming back here than if he stayed at PSG. I mean, yeah, yeah, Kane possibly. It's either it's, it's looking like the Chelsea menu or a Real Madrid. Uh, but I've seen um, I've seen Lukaku might be coming back to Chelsea. So that really? might be it for that. That might be the Steez. You never know. Well, uh, what are you? Are they going to sell Werner or what the fuck are they going to do? Very how how pissed were you at Werner when he Two. missed like three chances in like twenty minutes? Bro, he should have tumped that that second one, bro, uh, and and that Pulisic one to just send it. If if Puli just sent that second one in at the second half, like it wouldn't have been as sweaty as it was. But he had to he had to L that one, airmail that one. But uh, yeah. I, Werner's interesting because like he's good and and strategically I think for Tuchel he's like essential because like if you you saw that you saw that Havertz goal, bro, like you saw mm. the Werner just split that motherfucker yeah. like the like Moses, bro, and Kai was just like, okay, let me just run between these and, <laughs> and just uh, slot in, like it, that if if for example Tammy Abraham was there that wouldn't have happened, no, because uh, Tammy's not that kind of player. I love Tammy Abraham, my skinny king. Uh, but he's probably going to bolt now because uh, he's been shafted out the fucking Euros can clearly from not playing uh, the past since Lampard got uh, sacked. But anyway, digress. But yeah, Werner's like important to Tuchel's strategy, but like as a, like what your job is, is to score goals a lot of the time. And it just, wow, bro, like fucking skies that shit all the time, bro. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Come on, my guy. 
finishing on 50 right now, man. It's just, I don't know where it goes, but hey, man, he, he gets the job done in a lot of other ways. And I think for the casual, which I can class myself as it, sometimes, most of the time, it can it can be very frustrating to look at because you see him up front and you're like, well, he should be scoring the goals, right? Mm. But he does a lot of other stuff. And, uh, you know, he does a lot of stuff that's good for Chelsea. So I can... You know he's he's probably gonna be stay he's gonna be staying there. Like I think Tuchel will be like, no, he's he's not going, he's not leaving because I I need that kind of player, and that's fine. But bro, you got to slot in them goals, bro. Like nobody, I don't think there was a player, a Chelsea player, um, that scored ten goals. Like no no double digits, hmm. no player did double digits. I think Tammy had nine prem goals, uh, at the time, and then Timo got nine as well or something like that. But nobody's got double digits. That's that's not it. You can't win a prem like with, with with no double digit scorer. Like it's just impossible. You, you, it's just impossible. You can't do that. So, yeah, I don't know if it's Lukaku, Harry Kane, uh, fuck it, Holland maybe. Don't know. Like, cool. just don't know how yeah. it's, don't know how it's going to happen. But well, uh, I mean, they're the prem- one of those three have to come through. League. They're Champions League champions, man. Now you know you can write your own fucking check a lot of the time when that comes to that shit. Like that's a lot of money. Yeah, man. Tiago, yeah, Tiago was, uh, you know, he had that pain last year, and so did Tuchel technically, and uh, you know now they're back, now they got it. So you know, I can, you know, any of those, any of the, that's literally the easiest pitch. Like, do you want to, do you want a chance at the Champions League? Clearly, we have that. You know what I mean? And also Prem as well. It's never both. <laughs> it's always one or the other uh, to be threatening with, but. Uh, Hey man, either way, I'm 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 chilling. I think I mean Werner needs to. Werner's a great player, but like he needs to become like a hold up player. He needs to be, and I don't think he does that. I think too often he gets into yeah. these positions, and rather than looking for someone, he looks for goal, which would be great because he's in great positions, but he can't shoot. He just can't shoot. So don't don't look for goal. Look for someone. You know, look to hand it off to someone. And I think if he does that and he works on that then he'll end up becoming an incredible player for for you guys. And I think if you have someone like Lukaku or a genuine poacher up there, then it's just exactly. going to be bonkers. Like, Werner's exactly. going to be dragging, like, three players to the left, and then he's going to put it into the center and some guy... Like, if you have Haaland and Werner up front, it's going to be mayhem, absolute mayhem, because Haaland is just unbelievable. He's an unbelievable player. And, and that's the thing about winning the final. You know, they can basically write their own their own story now in the transfer market and i i don't think harry kane would go to chelsea but at the same time if chelsea write the right amount of money on the check then i think daniel levy will jump at it but i don't know with chelsea like i don't know if this was kind of like the two shell bump and then next season they're going to dip down a little bit um i think they got that momentum you know and that's the hard thing to recreate at the start of the next season if you've got that momentum yeah. it's easy to keep it going yeah but when mm-hmm. you get to the next season but at the same time they got a great side it's not like they're struggling it's not like you know real madrid where <laughs> all their players are like fucking 40 years old and it's just <laughs> bro they just re-signed modric for a year and i love modric he's my favorite player of all time by a country mile but he's like 35 now it's like you know, they yeah. got Benzema's in his mid-30s. Like, it's just, you know, it's a bit silly. So, 
It'll be interesting. I thought it was a. I, I, I really wanted Chelsea to win because um, I just don't like it when teams buy their way to, to premierships and to yeah, yeah. trophies. You mentioned that before, and uh, I didn't say it, but since you mentioned it again, like, you know, it's this Chelsea bruv. Like, I understand that. Shit. Look, no, I understand <laughs> that. I understand that. But Chelsea, Chelsea before Abramovich was still a decent side. It's not like they were fucking, you know, when did. Hey, man, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbanks are G. Man City came into the Premier League in what ninety nine or something. They were they were and then they got taken over. So it's yeah, not yeah, like... yeah, they've always been yeah they bit they were they were boo boo and then yeah yeah I I see what you mean. Uh, it, you know it's still it still is what it is. Like you know Chelsea started that oil money coming in stuff like that. Abramovich that oil money, but yeah, like I I get what you mean. Like Chelsea had some success in the nineties and the mid two thousands, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, Man City was just like so fucking boo boo, <laughs> and then like fucking Abu Dhabi just bought him. I was just like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, when yeah, when you, you can shout write to Aguero, man, check. basically it's, build a club. Fucking, yeah. it's when you can write buy whatever player you want. I'm kind of like they, you know, they're talking about like them paying like 150, 200 for Kane. It's like holy shit, <laughs> 200 million. Hey, man. Like, hey, man. Look, I think and assists, so, yeah, uh, uh, he's he's worth it, but the price, yeah, the, you know, the amount of money is just crazy. I I think personally he'll stay at Spurs next season because I just don't, I don't think Levy's going to sell him, and for for less than one fifty two hundred, and I don't think anyone's going to pay that much at the moment. You know, maybe Man City will to just. I think if Man City buy him and just keep their team the same and replace Aguero with him. You've basically got the Pretty Premier much, yeah. League and the Champions yeah. League sewn up, because like yeah. he's just the the one thing about Kane is he sometimes goes missing in big games. Sometimes he goes missing in finals, you know, and semi-finals. Not you know against good opposition in Premier League, he's fine. But I've noticed mm. a couple of times where in the final of something he'll just be like, okay, where where'd Kane go? Like what the fuck? Whereas in that situation, you look at someone like Haaland is just boss in big games. Baller. Mbappe, yeah. boss in big games. Baller. Like, Mbappe's just, like, turns the fuck up for big games. And so... Mbappe's probably my favourite player to watch, man. I love Mbappe. Unbelievable player. Just raw strength and raw speed Henri and 2.0, bro. Skill. I fucking love it. Yeah, yeah love unbelievable it. player. Absolutely. Yeah, anyway, that was a prem- that was a Champions League final. I'm happy Chelsea won, man. Congratulations. Yeah, I love how we... I lo- this, is, this is so, like, uh, regional. Like, we started with darts, which, yeah. like... There's only yeah. like I don't know four countries that actually like darts, yeah. <laughs> or, or actually have genuine pros in, in darts, and then uh, and then we just finished off with some uh, prem football, which is just uh, hey man, that's what you get when a British dude in Australia do start a podcast. There you go. There you go. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, it's been Digging Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you learned some sports, <laughs> some sports uh, uh, trivia. Uh, I have a Charlie Taylor the Fifth End. Maybe Ben Carter for pop numbers. Hope you all have a good week. Michelle is trying to do the same, but until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me, Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is a piece of video games by bonus points. As it show off records, availability is. Socials for the fifth element, help by numbers, bonus points, and show off records. We have full show notes wherever you're listening. It's been a fifth element podcast network production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. Dig in in the digits.